Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, enlighten our hearts this day and bring to us the grace of Your Spirit upon us. Enable us, O Lord, to have this Word You have given planted deep within us, that we would be comforted, that we would be reassured, that we would find ourselves more deeply looking to the fulfillment of Your promises. That You would lead us to trust Your Word more and more. And to know that You will fulfill Your Word in Your time and in Your way and that You will lift us up in the end. And when Christ returns, we too will be raised into new life. And that this will be your work in us, brought to fulfillment and brought to completion because of Jesus. And it is through this very Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you have read a lot of comic books in your day, but I love comic books. I started reading them a lot in the early 90s. Some of you might remember a major news story that happened in the early 90s about a particular superhero. Because he was so popular, even the news media was reporting on comic books for months. It was the fact that the writers of Superman were going to kill Superman. It was so huge that even like the evening news was having reports about interviews with these authors, with these writers, with the industry talking about it, going to people on the street. What do you think of Superman dying? Do you think they'll actually do it? It was a huge event because nothing like that had ever really been done. And honestly, nothing like that can ever be done again because you can't go much further than killing Superman, the man of still, the man of tomorrow, the man who seemed to be able to defeat anything that came into his path until he met his, the villain, Doomsday. But even Superman couldn't be kept down. Eventually he was resurrected. Sorry for the spoil, not giving a spoiler alert. It has been 30 years though. But he was raised back to life. And now, no matter what, in comic books, no one stays dead. They kill all kinds of heroes in comic books, but nine times out of ten, 99 times out of a hundred, 999 times out of a thousand, you'll see that character alive again later on. They'll figure out a way that somehow he faked his death, or he was only deeply injured, or he really did die briefly, but they brought him back somehow. It's just the way of comic books. It's the way of an imaginary world where you can do anything that you want, where the laws of physics, the laws of life and death can be flaunted. But even in these comic books, they realize something. That death is wrong. Death is not to be desired. Death is not to be chased after as though it is the end goal dream of human life. That even with taking down a character like Superman, they knew that they couldn't keep him dead. 
They had to somehow figure out a way to bring him back to life. He is too big to stay dead. He's too big to stay in the grave. And in some ways, because of this, resurrection seems to be part and parcel of our culture. We talk about it in such spiritual ways. Well, he's been resurrected. He was able to come up out of the ashes like a phoenix. Though he lost everything, he earned everything back. He came back from the poorness that he sent himself into. All these kinds of pictures of people losing everything and then regaining it all back. Gaining a new fortune. Gaining a new life in some way. No one wants death to be forever. No one wants death to be the final word. And God agrees. Yahweh Himself agrees that death is not to be the final word for His people. That's what we saw in Ezekiel 37, isn't it? That valley of dry bones, that vision that Ezekiel was receiving of all these bones just scattered across this valley, and yet... God asked him, can these bones live? And Ezekiel rightly answers, O Lord God, You know. You know the answer to that question. Only by Your omnipotent power, by Your grace, by Your mercy, by Your strength can even dry bones be restored into life. And that's the picture that Yahweh gives to Ezekiel is death is not the end. In that vision, He brought those dry bones back together He knitted them with sinews and muscles and new skin. And then he had Ezekiel prophesy to the wind, to the Spirit, to come from the four corners and to breathe life into them. Almost a reenactment, a repicturing of the creation of Adam himself. Because death was not to be the end for Israel. And so those bones became living beings once more in that vision. And it becomes a picture of what God is going to do for Israel, for the house of Israel, those who have been slain, those who have been exiled, those who have been driven out of the land into a foreign land, into a foreign place. God is going to restore them to life. He's going to revive them, bring them out of that grave of exile and plant them back in their good land that He had promised to give to them. Because death is not the end. Death is not to have the final word against Israel, God's people. And the church in all of her wisdom has seen in that a picture of resurrection, a picture of life after death, of not just life in heaven after death, but life in the new creation after death. Because death for us is not unto death. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life and He will have us unbound from the results of sin. Death is not unto death because of who Jesus is. Because of who Jesus is, He will unbind us. He will loosen the grips of death and the grave from us. And that's what we see Jesus begin pointing to here at the beginning of our Gospel lesson this day, that death is not unto death. We begin hearing the story of Lazarus, Jesus' dear friend who lives in the village of Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Lazarus is very ill, and it just keeps getting worse. And so Mary and Martha send word to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And there in verse 4, Jesus tells this messenger to take back this word to them. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. 
that the Son of God may be glorified through it, this illness does not lead to death. Imagine the bewilderment of Lazarus' sisters when they got that message. Because by the time that messenger got back, Lazarus was probably already dead. It says that Jesus would then tarry for two days before traveling to Bethany. We don't know how far of a trip it is for Jesus. We don't know exactly where He is at this time. Some thinks He's in, out in the wilderness near Bethany over the Jordan, which is more in the northern Judean area in the wilderness. Now he has two or three days of travel to get there. Maybe it's just a couple of days. Maybe he waited just a couple more days so that when he traveled for two more days, Lazarus would have been dead in the grave for, two day, for four days. But nonetheless, more than likely, that messenger got back to Bethany just on the cusp of Lazarus dying. And he gives his sisters this word from Jesus, the illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. Imagine that bewilderment. Death not unto death. Illness not unto death. What does that mean? He has died. What does Jesus mean? It will not lead to death. Illness won't lead to death and yet Jesus tarries. What is He doing in all of that? He is living in the reality that this is all for God's glory. And that through it the Son will also be glorified. The Son will be glorified through this illness that does not lead to death. This illness that does not ultimately lead into death. What does John mean when he says that the Son of God will be glorified? Does he just mean that usual sense of He'll be made known? God will reveal Himself in His glorious works and He will make the Son known to the people all around Him so that they can make much of Him. That's usually the sense of what it means to glorify someone, to make much of them as they have revealed who they are. And so the Son will be glorified when He acts, and much will be made of Him. But St. John throughout his Gospel has a deeper significance to this glorifying the Son. When Jesus speaks of the Son being glorified, He almost always points to the cross. He refers to Himself as going through death and resurrection. For the Son to be glorified, He must be lifted up. For there in being lifted up, He deals with the sins of the world. He doesn't mean it metaphorically being lifted up. He means it literally to be crucified. And that is where He is made known is through that cross. By that cross, He makes Himself known. And when He is on that cross dying for our sins, we can make much of Him. For without His death upon the cross, He doesn't receive the glory He ultimately deserves. Jesus rightly deserves all the glory, but why is it that without the crucifixion He cannot receive it to its fullness? I think it's because without that crucifixion and death, our sins aren't dealt with. And if our sins aren't dealt with, then we do not in turn glorify Christ. Our sins must be dealt with so that we can make much of Jesus And it's only possible to make much of Jesus because He underwent the punishment for our sins. He suffered on our behalf that we might then be healed and brought into our right minds. And in our right minds, we can finally see Jesus for who He is. And we can glorify Him and we can worship Him in the Spirit that He has given to us 
according to the truth of who He is. The one true God, the Son of the Father who has taken on flesh that He might die in our place. That He might then restore us to the Father from whom He came. And so mysteriously Jesus says this illness does not lead to death, but is a means for bringing glory to the Son. So when he heard in verse 6 that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I find it so deeply strange there that it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed for two days. There's a purpose. There is a stepping back of Jesus to wait and to tarry. Because this illness that doesn't ultimately lead to death, that is not a death that leads only to death, is a place where Christ will be glorified, for it will be a miracle that will enrage the Jewish leadership. It will drive them to want to put Him to death even more. In the last part of the chapter, many of the Jews will therefore plot and want to put Him to death because they have seen this great miracle, a miracle that Jesus hasn't hidden this time. He raised other people from the dead in the Gospels, but He always said, keep silent about it. Don't tell anyone about this. John likens it to being His hour not being here yet. And so here with the raising of Lazarus eventually, when we get there, it's a hastening, it seems. But as Jesus continuing to lead and guide Himself toward the cross, He does something great and glorious here that will move forward the work of the Lord that will move Him ever closer toward His crucifixion. So that through that crucifixion, sin will be dealt with. And so here, this death of Lazarus, this illness will lead to the glory of God. But Lazarus' illness is not unto death, Jesus said, and yet, he does die. He dies. Though he said the illness will not lead to death. And in those two days, I think Jesus is praying. Those two days that He waits for moving on to Bethany to accomplish the work of God, He is praying for that right moment. He is praying and thinking and looking to the Father, seeking the Father, looking for that perfect moment to act according to the Father, seeking the strength that He needs because He knows this act will drive everything forward. He knows that healing Lazarus will bring about His crucifixion. It is, in many ways, the last great miracle of Jesus that will drive the authorities finally to enact a plan of bringing about the death of the Son. So Jesus prays and considers the work that He is about to do, looking to the Father to know when to act fully in a way that will reveal His Father's glory, the moment when He can make His Father known in this situation. And so He waits and He prays. And he prays and he waits. He knows that this illness will not ultimately lead to death because the Father is sending him to find Lazarus. He's sending him to seek after Lazarus. He's sending him to bring new life to Lazarus. And so finally, Lazarus dies and he tells his disciples, it's time to go to Bethany. And he said, we were just in Judea and the Jews were trying to kill you. And he's not worried about it. He tells them, Lazarus has died. And I'm glad I wasn't there 
so that you can believe. Let us go to him. And Thomas, the one we all so often want to call doubting Thomas here, is absolutely believing Thomas. He says, let us also go that we may die with him. This death of Lazarus is not a death that remains in death. It is not a death that will stay there in death because of who Jesus is. And who is Jesus? He is the resurrection and the life. He arrives near Bethany now. There in verse 17, it's already been four days since Lazarus was put in the tomb. And Martha hears and she goes out to him immediately. I love this change that we see in who Martha is from who we heard about in Luke chapter 10 so long ago. Martha, the one who is busying herself with all the housework of making sure everything is in order in the way that it needs to be for Jesus' visit back in Luke 10. While Mary sat at Jesus' feet, here, as soon as Martha hears, she runs out to meet Jesus. She abandons whatever housework needs to be done, especially with so many grievers around, with so many Jews that have come out to console and to be with them in the midst of the loss of their brother. She abandons all of that to go find Jesus to go to Jesus who is coming to them. She runs out to meet Him, throwing aside all of those distractions so that she can know Jesus, so that she can speak to Jesus. Throwing off those distractions, she comes and is with Jesus. And she tells Him in verse 21, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever You ask from God, God will give You. She doesn't hesitate to come to Jesus. Though she knows that He could have stopped Lazarus' illness, she knows that He could have prevented Lazarus' death, she knows the reality of what Jesus can do. But she knows something even more deeply, that whatever He asks of God, God will do. He knows, she knows that Jesus can do anything because the Father will always listen to Him. And in light of that, Jesus says, your brother will rise. And Martha says, I know he will in the resurrection at the end. There will be the great resurrection and he will rise up with all the saints, with all the believers in Yahweh. Those who have trusted in the promises of God, he will be raised with them. And then Jesus says the words in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live. For Martha, resurrection was something far off, a long way away. Something to not be experienced in the here and now, but something that would happen at the end. In a way, it was very abstract to think about. What would it be like? What would it look like? Resurrection of the dead. It was far away, but she trusted that God would accomplish it however He would that He had promised there would be a resurrection of the dead, looking at passages like Ezekiel 37 and seeing various passages in Isaiah and in Daniel 12, the promise of resurrection for God's people. But Jesus brings it down into reality for her. He brings it down to the concrete level, out of the clouds, out of the sky. He makes it a reality by saying, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Right there in front of Martha is resurrection and life. Right there in front of Martha is the Messiah who will bring about 
resurrection, who will bring about new life, who will overcome death itself for the sake of His Father, for the sake of His people. Resurrection and life are situated right there in Jesus Himself. And He is the embodiment of it. He is the eternal form of resurrection and life in human form. It's not something above us or below us that we would have to pursue and chase after. But resurrection and life are near to us because resurrection and life are Jesus. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and so He is going to do something that no one had seen. And He asked her, do you believe that I can do this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe. She trusts that He is the Christ. She trusts that He is the Son of God. That He is the one who has been promised. She places all of her hope in Him. All of her hope in Him alone. And thus being reassured, being given the promises of God, being built up in her faith, she goes and speaks with Mary and sends Mary to Jesus now. Mary who is waiting, who is sitting there weeping and grieving at her home with others, who doesn't go to sit at Jesus' feet, but waits. So when she hears that He is calling, she goes to Him. And all the other Jews get up and go with her thinking that she's going to the tomb to weep and grieve more. But no, she's going to meet Jesus. And when she gets to Jesus, she says much the same thing. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. In her grief, though, she doesn't go the next step. She doesn't go on to say, and I know that whatever you ask of God, God will do. She is grieving so deeply, she has been impacted by the death of her brother so much. And she can't carry herself to reflect the faith that she has deep down, that faith that Jesus has built up in her. And Jesus looks at her weeping and He sees the others with her who are weeping as well. What does it say? Jesus was moved. In some Bibles, there will be a footnote that says that that word moved can mean indignant. It can, be, it can mean angered. It can mean being upset. And it's good for us to remember that that moving of Jesus' soul, that moving of Jesus' emotions here, is not a mere emotional reaction. It has a harshness to it. It's used elsewhere of Jesus sternly charging people to not speak of His miracles. It's used of the woman who anointed Jesus that they, she was scolded for using that anointing oil. There's a harshness to this word. And so in what sense is Jesus moved and frustrated and upset by this situation? Jesus is upset at death itself. He is angered by death itself. He is seeing the impact of death and sin upon these people that He loves. He has seen it done to Lazarus that he has died. And now he sees the results of that in the lives of Martha and Mary as they weep and they grieve as those who have gathered around them weep and grieve. And so Jesus is indignant toward death. He is indignant toward sin. And he's going to do something about it. Jesus is going to do something in order to bring about glory. 
Here are people that Jesus cares about that are suffering deeply. And He's going to step forward and do something. And so He has to be taken to the tomb. He has to be taken to the place where Lazarus is buried now. And this is where we see Jesus act. Though people are doubting, some of the Jews say, couldn't He have kept Lazarus from dying? He opened the eyes of the blind man. Others say, look how much He loves his, this man Lazarus. Look how much He cares for this family. Our God grieves and is upset in a righteous way in this moment because of what sin has done. It has abused and treated Martha and Mary and Lazarus poorly. The existence of sin tears and destroys and strips away the life of Lazarus. The life that Jesus is going to return. The life that has been stripped away from creation that Jesus gave to creation when He made it with the Father and the Spirit. Sin has ripped it away. Death has taken hold of it. But Jesus is going to undo all of that. It's not how it should be. Life shouldn't be so easily ripped away by death, but it simply is because of sin itself in the world. When sin came into the world, death came along with it, wreaking havoc on everyone. But Jesus will not stand for it. He is going to undo it. He will do something about it. Ultimately, He will do something about it by taking that sin unto Himself. He will take death itself unto Himself bringing to fulfillment His words to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Because when He takes sin on, when He takes death upon Himself, it can't hold Him. It can't lay hold of Him. It can't keep hold of Him. It has to release Him because He is the truest sense of life itself. He is the truest sense of resurrection. When death confronts Jesus, He brings death to death. He will destroy it ultimately. And in destroying it, He will unbind all of us from death's grip. Jesus has the stone rolled away. And rolling away that stone, He then looks forward and prays to the Father and thanks Him for always listening to Him and for answering these prayers and leading Him to this moment. And He cries out, Lazarus, come out! And thus... The one who is the resurrection and the life brings resurrection and life to a man dead four days. And he comes out. But there's a problem. He is still wrapped in linen cloths. His hands and his feet are bound. His face is covered. And so Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. Here, even in Lazarus leaving the tomb, he is still showing the signs of death upon himself because he is bound But Jesus has him unbound. He removes those bindings to free him from all. To free him from the results of death binding him up. Holding him down. Holding him back. Death itself is defenseless because of Jesus. Jesus undoes death and Lazarus. He brings a man back that had been dead for four days. Another one of those miracles that no one has ever heard of. He raises him back to life with but a word. The power of Jesus acting in this moment to point all to the Father. 
to make all realize who He truly is, that He is the one who will take hold of the keys of death. He will take hold of the keys of Hades itself and free all those who are bound up in death. He will release the people from death's grip. You see, Jesus is not only the God of the universe, the God who created all things, He is the God who has died and been raised. And in dying and being raised, He leaves death undone and defeated. Death has no hold on Jesus. And so He can unbind us from its grip. All the signs of death are broken by Jesus Himself. He rips death apart. He rips the signs off of us and fills us with life that will undo death in us. The grips of death was upon Lazarus and he had it stripped away. He makes us new so that even when death comes, when the results of sin in this world lay hold of us, when it seems like all is said and done, all that has been said and done will be unsaid. When death comes to greet us, when death comes upon us, all that death can say to us is undone by Jesus. Because we will be unbound even from death itself in the final resurrection. Though death may hang on to us for a brief bit, hang on to our bodies for a little while in the grave, it has to let go. Death has to let go because Jesus has said, Come forth. Jesus came forth from the grave with new life in a glorified state and thus defeated death. And death must release its grip on our bodies. When death says, when sin and death say, of us, you can pry them from our cold, dead hands. Jesus says, Agreed. I will take them from your cold, dead hands. And reminds death that He has put death to death. He's undone death because it couldn't hold on to Him. And so He takes all of us with Him. He promises to renew us and to save us from death itself. Death can't hold on to Him, and if death can't hold on to Him, it most certainly won't hold on to us now. Because we have been claimed by Him. He has made us His own. And whatever sin and death may do to us in this world... It has to let go at the end. It must release us because Jesus has claimed us as His own. And He will have us unbound from all the results of sin and death. He will unbind us and take us into the new heavens and the new earth in a glorified state to live with Him forever because He is the resurrection and the life. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.